This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 93. We're recording on Thursday, February 12th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm back this week, and I'm here with Jeff O'Neill. We are coming to you from bookriot.com. What's funny is, is that you were away last week from the show, but you're actually in New York. And usually when I'm in New York, we do an awkward show in the same room. Yeah, which we've maybe decided not to do that anymore. Have we decided that? I don't know. Did you decide that? Well, uh, maybe. Maybe when you're here, we just have to be in separate <laughs> rooms. Well, some of it, the mic is weird, and we don't have a great setup for like two people, and there's arms and Yeah, we don't know what to and... do with anything. It's Yeah, we'll, we'll see. It so, was really fun listening to you and Amanda, and getting to see you in person, of course. Of course. Well, there's always that. You know, I, Amanda and I kept talking after we were done recording and did the outro of the show last week, and... We were still talking. We did like a whole another 20 minutes on Harper Lee and Go Set a Mockingbird Jay. And uh, I, I was like, oh, we'll just release that as like an after show. But I'm dumb. And I for, I stopped recording because that's, you know, we've been doing it for 92 mm-hmm. episodes. We we do the outro. I hit stop. Sometimes Muscle we talk memory. a little more. And I'm just so mad because it's gone. That's gold, Jerry. That was gold. I believe you that it was gold. It was really, <sighs> it was a good time. It was so perfect that Amanda was on last week. She knows way more. Oh, she did a great job. Than I do, and just knows a ton about To Kill a Mockingbird and the classics in general. So perfect. It was. It was really fun. I liked it. But now that we did our full show on it, now it's all the drips and drabs of breadcrumbs of news stories and leaks and rumors in your window until. And it's just never going to. It's end. not going to stop. The book's going to come out. It's not going to stop. Uh, it, but it, it's gotten to the point now where we're going back and forth looking for people who have any connection to Harper Lee or the Lee sisters or Tanya Carter, that can give anything like firsthand accounts. Last week, Amanda and I were talking about, we referenced one Times article that had unnamed sources saying that Harper Lee was acting bizarrely at her sister's funeral and didn't seem like she knew what was going on, and the rumors that she was senile. And now we're getting counter rumors um, from people down in Monroeville. (laughs) Like, uh, no joke, someone from the Times went down there or had a had a satellite reporter go down and like interview people who worked at re- who work at restaurants that I guess Harper Lee and her sister either used to go to or Harper still goes to. <laughs> so the owner of Dave's Catfish House. Oh, it's real. It's real. That's not a joke. It's when not I something saw, off Parks and Recreation. <laughs> when I saw this in the agenda, like it, it says for our listeners, it says Harper Lee follow up. Dave's Catfish House weighs this in, and I was like, oh, surely Jeff made that. Someone, up. the owner of Dave's Catfish House, gave a quote to the New York oh, Times God. saying she was in in January and she's sharp. You know, she doesn't see too well or hear too well, but she still is doing her thing. Uh, so I guess I'm going to need to keep like some sort of running nervousness meter about this whole situation. <laughs> okay. And right. I'm down from my, ab- I wouldn't say absolute skepticism. You know, I, I talked about it for an hour last week of like fi- feeling kind of queasy about it, but ultimately I'm going to read it and I pre-ordered it because Amanda got me scared I wasn't going to get one after the show last week. I feel a little bit better about it now. Than I did mm, last week. Like curious with a touch of squicky. Yeah, I guess I don't know. Like 
no no one has gone on the record and as far as I've seen it, maybe there's a story out there, using their own real name saying she's not fit to do this. Um and everyone who's gone on the record with her own name has said she seems like she's can give consent. That doesn't mean it's definitely true, but you know, I tend to think people who are actually are willing to give their name uh you know have a little more credibility with me. And I don't know why the owner of Day's Catfish House would have a reason to lie or prevaricate about it. Um, it seems like a relatively neutral party, though now he's gotten a bunch of free advertising for Dave's Catfish House. <laughs> so unless well, he's a media savant. Um, and I, there I are some like risks okay. involved in going on record under your own name to say that a famous beloved person is not capable yes, of that's true. consenting to the thing that she has supposedly consented to. So anyway, I mean, it's I, unless... I think I think I don't. You tell me if I'm wrong. Amanda, I didn't talk about this during the show. I think it was our after show saying, "What would it take for our nervousness to sort of fall to zero? Like, what bit of proof would we need?" Uh, I think you were right on the show last week when you said, you know, somebody getting to see Harper Lee in a genuine, like, spontaneous interaction. Yes, okay, that did make it into the show. And the thing that I've been predicting that will be the bottom of this slope of weirdness all along that I know you hate the notion of is like a Barbara Walters interview live from Harper Lee's nursing home. Yeah, I don't want to watch it, but I would like to know that that exists. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, there's just so much curiosity, and this is one of those stories that breaks way outside the world of books that, like, this seems to, it sounds absurd, but it also seems to me to be a realistic or reasonable end of the absurdity is send some send a credible journalist down to talk to this person like Harper Lee's not going to talk to anyone with less flair and credential than Barbara Walters has and get some sort of genuine and authentic and spontaneous unscripted moment that makes everybody feel like Yes, we've seen her. She is sharp and fine, and she's on board with this. Yeah, I wouldn't even need to see. Uh, I wouldn't need to see the video. Like if Barbara Walters went down and did like a print interview and, and like just like reported back for it. And re- I mean, I, I would, you know, I would. I'd have to. Well, take that. I mean, you might not, but there's like there are conspiracy theorists on oh, our Facebook yeah, page saying they don't even believe there's actually a book coming. So yeah, and they I think thought, they some think people Kubrick would want to stage the moon landing. Yeah, I know yeah. we know those people. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's our follow up this week. Day's Catfish House has weighed in. Is a real thing uh, that happened. Ne- next time it's going to be Ebner's breaks and tires, um, <laughs> and we'll see where we go from there. Okay, we've got a new sponsor this week, brand new and, and well timed sponsor because they released some big news this week that's they worth really talking did. about. Scribd. Scribd is the subscription book service that gives you unlimited access to a library of more than half a million ebooks and audiobooks and and dun 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 comics comic books. So, unlike some of the other subscription ebook services out there, you get free unlimited access to their collection of audiobooks and comic books. And their comic books this just came out this week. More than 10,000 comic books including titles from Archie and Marvel, there's some Guardians of the Galaxy on there I saw, there's some Iron Man I saw, a new way of putting things that readers like all in one package. They have book from, Scribd has books from some of the best publishers around, from big houses like HarperCollins, no shock there, to <laughs> Simon & Schuster, HMH, small presses like McSweeney's, CounterPoint, and Tin House. Um, with a subscription, you also get access to more than 30,000 audiobooks, including some of the biggest new releases. And more importantly, 
Scribd makes it sure you can find your way the books you're going to love. They've got hundreds of collections curated by their team of editors, and they'll tailor the recommendations for you based on the books you've loved or maybe haven't loved. Let's get some negative indicators there. So to go to scribd.com slash bookriot right now, and they'll set you up with a free month to get started. That's three, 30 days of unlimited reading, listening, comic book reading, and you'll be supporting Book Riot. So win-win for you, win-win for us. Everyone's winner. Everyone's a winner here. And that's scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D dot com slash book riot. So thanks so much to Scribd for sponsoring the show. Go try them out. I think it's so smart to put audiobooks on there, so smart to put comic books I mean, on there, and that Marvel's a real feather in their cap. Eight ninety nine a month, man. It's hard to beat that deal, especially if you start doing the math against ebook costs and subscription costs to other audiobook services and things like Marvel Unlimited. And um, Image Comics has a new sub, uh, subscription service that's print only, which right. is an interesting way to go. This is, uh, it's a really compelling price point. Audiobooks are expensive, man. I mean, that's one thing that hasn't really had a lot of price pressure on it so far. And uh, people rent audiobooks from their libraries, but I've heard the process there is not great either. There's some great stuff too in Scribd. I think we have hit the point in audiobook and ebook subscriptions where like good titles are coming out. It's not just uh, publishers putting out the titles that they're not worried about taking risks on. Yeah, it's not like digital remainders or something like that. Yeah, you can get the audiobook for Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay, which is a house favorite around here. Um, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown is one of my favorite books about how we think about vulnerability and relationships and work and family. Uh, the Hard Thing About Hard Things, which you've talked about oh, a bunch. Oh, that's on there. I didn't see that by Ben Horowitz. Also, also To Kill a Mockingbird. Hey, which one is that? Is it the uh, Sissy Spacek one? I believe so. Uh, I don't want to click on it because I'm afraid it'll start playing oh, music yeah. <laughs> into my podcasting microphone. But it looks like the Sissy Spacek one, which is a wonderful yeah, it's audio book of it. Um, there's some Ann Patchett. I mean, all sorts of stuff. Huge publishers, all sorts of stuff to check out. So that's scribd.com slash bookwrite, S-C-R-I-B-D dot com. All right. News. We got we had a nice we had a nice lineup here. We do. We sh- can we have our own news first? I'd like to tell our news. Oh yeah, go right ahead. So we've been talking about how Book Riot will have our first event in the fall on November seventh and eighth in New York. We're having Book Riot live, and we have official dates that you can look forward to now. Yes. Um, registration will open on March tenth. Uh, We have about 1,400 tickets to sell, and the first 250 of those are going to be available at a significant discount. Um, More more details about that to come. But if this is a thing you want to do, come hang out with us for two days in New York and see authors and publishing people and Book Riot people and stuff that's book adjacent, like perhaps bands that play music inspired by books Mm. or literary karaoke or tabletop games related to books or people. We've got idea sheets and spreadsheets and We've got all sorts all, of stuff. We have all the do. sheets. Yeah. People making crafts out of books. You name it. Yep. If you've seen it on bookriot.com, you'll see something like it at Book Riot Live. That's in November, but tickets March 10th. November 7th and 8th here in New York City in Manhattan at the Metropolitan West. I'm going to be there the whole time. We're going to do a live episode of this show. We're going to do a live, maybe more than one Man. even live, reading lives. <laughs> Where we, are we going to put our arms then? I, I, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> someone can put up a screen or something for us. But uh, you know, Amanda is going to be here. You've heard her mm-hmm. on the show. We, Rita, we got some confirmation from, I can't say the names yet, but we got some yeses from authors. The first wave of authors are responding to us that are come, going to become yeah, guests. Yeah, there was Muppet Arming behind the scenes And if you've been today. listening to the show, you, you're going, some of these names you're going to recognize. 
Uh, that's I, that, I've said too much already. Oh, I just wish we could. I know. Say it. I, well, maybe next week or the week mm-hmm. after, we got some contracts to sign and things like that nature. But already we're excited, and it's just the very beginning of uh, filling out the programming there. So um, March 10th at 1 p.m. Eastern is when they go on sale. So if you really are excited and you know you want to come, you can get a ticket at a discount for those first 250. And then once those sell out, the rest will be available at um, at the full sticker price. Still, I think a pretty, it'll be a pretty good deal for two days of programming in an intimate setting where there's, you know, not 10,000 people. It is. I've started around. to see programming for other one-day bookish events that are happening in the next yes. year. And some of the one-day tickets are more expensive than our two-day tickets. Yeah. So. And there's going to be nighttime uh, stuff. Some of it will be separate registration. Some of it will be free. Some will be ticketed. But there's also stuff we're going to you know, partner with some other events and spaces around the city. So yeah. be like a whole weekend. We're going to be so tired. We are going to be so I'm, tired. I'm tired <laughs> just thinking. I mean, I'm excited, but I'm already tired. Well, so the setup for the space for us starts at 4 a.m. on yeah. Saturday, November 7th. I'm just not thinking about that. It's going to be great, though. We'll just run on adrenaline and like some of Liberty's Red Bull stash. Yeah, there's going to be two little Rebecca and Jeff nubs like running around <laughs> by the end. Uh all right, let's get I'm just going to be a mass of curly red hair. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, like, and like a smoldering little squiggle. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get but into the news. It. So that we're gonna, you're going to hear more about that. We'll try not to beat you over the head with it. Some, not too much promotion, but some of you can't make it and it's going to kill you. I know. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying that jokingly. I know that there are people out there that would love to come, but for various circumstances won't be able to. So it's going to be painful to hear. But as we have news... Um, that's salient. We'll, we'll bring it up. But you will hear us live from Book Riot Live. Yeah. So even if you're not there, you'll, you'll kind of be there. And we'll look forward to meeting so yeah, many that, of you. I'm It'll very excited about that. All right. On to the, on to the news. Other people's news. Uh, let's see. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Should we start with another fun thing and then come back to um, the Yeah, other let's thing? go to fun. Well, the other thing's not on. Anyway. Yeah, let's go to the next thing first. I'm, I don't know how I'm going to do this. How am I going to do this? I don't know. Pause and gather yeah, yourself okay. while we you, talk you do about the next story. I'm gonna Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, which was one of the best sellers of 2014, one of undeniably the most buzzed about books. It was a house favorite for us, but that does not make us special no, at all. No. Pretty much everyone loved Station Eleven, has been acquired for television uh, to be produced by. Um, Scott Steindorf. It's TV or movie, so we're not sure oh, yet. It could oh, be I thought either. I just saw yeah, TV. Yeah, anyway, now that's sorry. interesting. Okay, so it's and it will be produced by Scott Steindorf and Dylan Russell. Uh, they paid six digits for the rights. Uh, it's a that's a good deal. But there's no talent attached yet, and also apparently, as you just said, it's not clear if it's going to be TV or movie. I, it sounds like it's not just an option; it's the actual the rights, which. Yeah. I don't really understand the difference completely, but someone someone I saw on Twitter said, yeah, that much money sounds like they really mean mm-hmm. to do something with it. I think a TV show would be interesting. It would be. I think I've, I think it might be kind of a mix between like um, The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. like after the bad thing happens, the roving band of travelers and... Lost, lost kind of a thing, exactly. You know. Yeah, the lost flashbacks in the way that the book is structured with much more um, stagecraft and no glow in the dark 
vampires smoke or monsters. zombies or smoke monsters or um, highly unsatisfying endings. And Station <laughs> Eleven has an incredible ending. Yeah, so that's that's something you know I don't have on the agenda. The other news that came out, um, I think it was before the Harper Lee news and sort of got swallowed whole by Ghost of a Watchman was um, Gary Steingart's super sad true love story is going to be an HBO series starring Ben Stiller, apparently. Oh, that's like the most perfect thing you could ever do. And I don't know if it's like a mini series, you know, kind of one of these eight episode Olive Kittredge sorts of deals mm-hmm. or an ongoing series, but that's going to be super interesting too. That's, yeah, I'm really interested. I did not hear that news. Uh, you know, Very there was some su- with between, well, and also the news came today that James Franco, who stars in every adaptation, is going to be the lead in, adapt- <laughs> in an adaptation of Stephen King's 11 2363, or I get those, oh, or 112263, uh, the Stephen King book about time traveling and the JFK assassination. Very awesome time for literary adaptations because you've got way more choices, both of channel, but also a format. You can be, you know, an and ongoing Walking Dead series. You can be a limited mm-hmm. miniseries. You could be HBO, Showtime, various levels of graphicness, well, explicitness. Interesting. I guess they're in the in the process of doing the Margaret Atwood, Matt Adams series over at HBO. So we're going to get that. And if we got station 11 as another apocalyptic TV series, like this, this trend is not going anywhere. um, But I like the direction that the trend is moving in Mm -hmm. of sort of a deeper, quieter look at life after the disaster. I'm excited. I'm so excited. And Emily St. John Mandel is just really terrific. As She's a really nice person, so that makes yeah, it even better. Very nice person indeed. Um, I guess we'll just uh, keep our fingers crossed for our long-awaited Gilead trilogy uh, limited miniseries uh, starring Robert Redford or uh, uh, John Lithgow as the good Reverend Ames. And until then, we'll just keep arguing about which one. Yeah, we, until then, we'll keep <laughs> arguing about which one. All right, uh, let's go to – so the, the, I'm trying to bite my tongue a little bit about this. Uh, <laughs> One but of us I do, I do want to talk about it in something like, you know, it's something that's going on online and it's a lot of people are talking about it. Um, a new literary website called LitHub, just like you would think it's uh, spelled, um, was announced last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is it's basically the publisher Grove Atlantic is the main mover behind it. Um uh, the president and publisher of Grove Atlantic name is Morgan Entrican, and he is getting a broad group of publishers, literary magazines, and booksellers, and they call it a website styles as a Huffington Post for the literary world, a one-stop shop of book aggregation. This I'm reading directly now from the Wall Street <laughs> Journal. Um, I wish I had had it. I, I don't know. Yeah, if only say. someone if only, had built a thing like that three and a half years though, ago. I was thinking, we, this is not really what we do, though. At first blush, I was like, Boy, that sounds familiar, but it's not really the same um, for a lot of reasons. They're going to focus on literary fiction and nonfiction, which is not something that we do. So Mm-mm. that's to say they have over 70 partners, ranging from small presses like New Directions to Scribner, Knopf, FSG, uh, and bookstores. So the site is lithub.com. It is launching, I believe, in April. Indeed it is. And uh, if you go to lithub.com now, you can get on their email, you know, their mailing list to see when it launches. So, some some of the some of my snideness aside, the, the what they say about it is the quote directly that I think is the most interesting one is there's a gigantic amount of literary content being produced each day, but unless you have ten people looking for it, you won't find it. Um, Mr. Entrick said we're hopefully going to bring it to you. Early offerings will include essays about screenwriting, in, 
how screening influences is fiction by Alexander Heyman. Um, let's see, Russell Banks about driving north through Alaska. British novelist Christy Watson about writing a book while raising two biracial children as a single parent. Um, it's going to be underwritten by Grove Atlantic. So they're giving the money to full-time staff, to part-time staff. Um, I don't know. I mean, I was th- I- I've thought a lot about this recently because, uh, you know, Book Riot is my baby, our baby. You know, there's a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of parents here, but... Um, in a way, the the site has been my idea, uh, helped by a lot of people, and it's been my responsibility and my privilege to try to figure out what to do with the site, what people will like on the top scale with a lot of input and a lot of people correcting me along the way um, and having a conversation about it. And I was thinking, you know, it sounds like they – it sounds like what they want – is for it not to the internet to not to be the internet. Yeah, the farther down in this Wall Street Journal piece, they talk about one of the things that LitHub is going to focus on is attracting literary types who aren't digital adopters and still prefer to read on paper mm-hmm. and how like all of the posts that appear on LitHub are going to be are going to also have specially formatted versions for people who want to print them out and read them. It's like I'm having a hard time being quite as uh, generous in my interpretation <laughs> of this as you are, because making internet for people who don't like internet seems to be, a, a, to me, to be a fundamentally flawed voyage yeah. endeavor. It's a fundamentally flawed endeavor. And the idea of making stuff and trying to find readers for it, like the, this, unless 10 people are looking for it, you won't find it notion sounds awfully close to me to like, well, we're going to make a thing and hope that people come, you know, we will build it. And if we build it, if we put it there because we're somehow magical, then people will just come to it. Which, which we now know from three and a half years of running a thing on the internet is not how things go. You have to make the thing and then, like do the internet version of tapping people on the shoulder and pointing them toward it. And the people who are available to be pointed towards things on the internet are not people who prefer not to use the internet, but want to print things out and read them. Yeah. I I think there's some, there's, there's a good point there. I mean, I guess the the other thing I was thinking about, they don't want the internet to be the internet is the, the model of like hub and spoke, like the old airline model. It's not really how the internet works anymore. Yeah. Uh, Maybe in the days of like, Yahoo, right? Where you went in and there was categories. Um, Mm -hmm. And really before social media, like the hub of the internet is Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and Reddit. Like there are hubs, but they're huge aggregation sites and social networks where you find things based on what the people you know and follow are reading and looking for. And that's not 10 people looking, that's hundreds of thousands uh, of people and sharing instantly. So I'm not really sure. I think... I'm not sure. I guess what I'm not sure exactly is how is it different than just like the millions? Like, what are they trying to do Mm -hmm. that's different? They're trying to, are they going to link to things that other people are writing? Um, Are they going to have, or is it just all original content? Well, then it's not a hub. That's just another site. Right. So I'm not really sure what we're going to see here. 
I'm interested in the impetus behind this, especially because the Wall Street Journal piece compares this endeavor to Bookish, which I, we, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. which was a, a joint project of three of the big five publishers that tens of millions of dollars were spent developing it with the intention of creating a content-driven place that would ultimately drive book sales for publishers and give them some more control. And it had a lot of problems in development and changed CEOs multiple times. And then when it did finally launch, it went nowhere. Um, Zola Books bought it and they're still running it. I've got, I went to bookish.com last week to check it out and like there's still, still content there. there, but in the literary internet, you don't hear about it. No. Um, I don't see links to content there pop up, you know, in my regular wanderings through Twitter and Facebook and the sites that I read. And so this to me is kind of a, a repeat of a failed idea in some ways. And also it seems to be a response to the fact that places for literary readers to go and get coverage of books are shrinking because newspapers are covering fewer books and fewer newspapers even have book sections anymore. But they talk in the Lit Hub press release about wanting to reach the widest possible audience. And the widest possible audience is not the audience that reads literary fiction and literary nonfiction. That's actually Maybe a very, the widest possible audience for what they're covering, for their thing? I guess. Yeah, yeah that's... The, but the here, widest, you can't be lit hub. Even for literary, <laughs> you can't be a lit hub if you don't have content from the New York Times and the Washington Post and the New Yorker, right? I mean, so, that, I mean, so you're just objecting to the notion of the word hub. I guess so. Like if it was the lit spot or something, like we're another website <laughs> well, that's going to have book related. You know, Great. I, I mean, that's there's room I, for a lot of different stuff like that. I would bet many cash dollars that lit hub was not the name that they came up with at the start but this was a i mean you and i know from oh it's like it's, we have spent weekends at looking at hover trying to figure mm-hmm. out what domains are available that aren't terrible and that express the thing we're trying to do uh and that's i, would that's bet that's, they, I mean you, you might be right and maybe i'm reading too much but what he says is we're going to go look for it and bring it to you meaning we're mm-hmm. not going to just produce it ourselves, but I don't know how you do that. If you're just not, are you just a link blog with some of your own original well, content? Or, Maybe that's I mean, what it is. Yeah, going to look for it and bringing it to you could also be like we're going to contact indie booksellers that don't have blogs and ask them to write stuff for you, and so now you get content from indie booksellers here. I guess it could mean a lot of things. I'm not terribly hung up on the definition of hub. Um, I am hung up on the notion of trying to like trying to serve particularly literary readers. Um, because the explosion of the internet has just given voice and made visible all the readers who are not literary. And I think the rise of those communities and how loud it's been makes the literary readers and the literary publications feel perhaps more threatened than is necessary. Like book coverage does still exist. The existence of fan sites that cover stuff that's not just literary doesn't threaten the existence of a fan site for literary things. I don't know. Yeah. There's just, I'm like, I'm just, there's no level on which I think this is a good way to go about doing <laughs> mm-hmm. the thing they're trying to do. And I'm not even certain that I think the thing they're trying to do is. Yeah. Good. I mean, I will pay attention to the site just because I'm professionally interested in it as mm-hmm. well, but I, I'm trying to see what they're going to do. Like what they're saying about an essay by Alexander Heyman, who's a good writer about screenwriting influences fiction writing. That doesn't sound particularly I mean, I'm sure it's a good piece, but it doesn't sound that particularly different than anything else I've ever seen um, yeah. online. Um, I don't know. I the other the other thing that gives me pause is he's like, it doesn't really need to make money. We just hope to break even on it. <laughs> well, in my experience of how these kinds of websites go, that's not a great sign, right? Nonprofit websites uh, that are trying to do publishing, 
I don't know. That, that's very difficult to do. Does that mean they're do. not going to be paying for I don't the know. content that they intend to be using to ultimately drive attention to the books that these 70 different publishers want to sell? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, the other thing that's difficult, and this, I was talking to some of uh, Book Riot readers, not just our contributors on Twitter about it, and someone brought up, and it's a very fair question of all these kinds of sites that are backed by a publisher. It's like, so they're going to have reviews, but I, I'm guessing there's not going to be like bad reviews of Grove Atlantic titles or FSG mm. titles or Knopf titles, right? I mean, yeah. I wouldn't even expect that. You know, I, I wouldn't expect that of a publisher-backed website, but it does do something to what you expect of the site, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. you're just not going to see it. Like we, on BookRite, we tend not to write negative stuff because that's not how we roll. We like to champion stuff we like more than tear down stuff. But we will do, you know, a critique of people, or ideas mm-hmm. and behavior. Well, um, we do have the buy, borrow, we'll, we'll bypass. We'll say don't, don't bother with this. Um, yeah. You know, Lord knows on this podcast, we'll critique things we don't particularly <laughs> like. I've gotten myself <laughs> in trouble even recently about that. Um, but, you know, so that's, a, how, is there going to be any teeth to it, I guess is the question. Is there any, why should well, we trust them to do right, anything yeah. interesting? I think teeth, the teeth angle is interesting to me as an individual reader. I like, you know, that, flavor of edge and authenticity and to know that a publication will tell me if a book is not worth my time. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's that the reader trust angle, I think is very important. If you're a publication owned by a publisher or in which a bunch of publishers have invested and the only content about books that ever appears is positive content about your books, then how do readers know that that's genuine other than you say, People write their real opinions. But like if you work for Grove Atlantic and Grove Atlantic asks, asks you to write a piece about one of the books and you can't write a positive piece, either you decline because you hated the book, but then mm-hmm. you have to tell the publisher you work for that you don't think the book is good enough to give a positive review to, or you do what? Yeah, like, I don't know. Like we don't tear books apart, but we will say this is a thing that I read and here are problems in mm-hmm. it. Um, and not that I, you know, not that every book site needs to do what Book Riot does I can't get over but the I have a there's hard so time much content out how, there that you need 10 like, people looking for it and we're going to give you two and a half people we're going to hire two and a half people yeah. to do it you know what's really irking me about this that I just put my finger on mm. is this doesn't seem like it's intended to really serve readers this looks like another thing to me that publishers are like what can we do because we need yeah. eyeballs on our thing oh I know we'll do this and we'll say it's for the readers <laughs> like right actually serve some it needs that readers have actually look at who your readers are actually look at what the gaps are in literary coverage. Like no one has been more privileged in literary coverage in the history of books than readers of literary things. Right. That's a really, that's a very fair point. I don't know. It's like, I'm trying to imagine who the, who the ideal reader for lit hub is. Because if it's someone even our age or, you know, even a little bit older, I'm I'm now throwing you in with, with me, unfortunately. I'm so well, sorry. Well, we're not that, that far apart. Five despite, years or so. Yeah. Um, you know, if if I'm online and I'm reading about books at all, I'm already following McSweeney's, and the, uh, which I am. I'm, I'm a literary fiction reader, but not exclusively. I'm already following the Paris Review and the mm-hmm. New Yorker and the Washington Post, New York Times, and Ron and, Charles and Dwight Garner and Janet sure. Maslin. Like, right. I'm Man, getting, I read all that literary I'm stuff, all, too. I'm getting all that stuff already. Um, I don't know. Is there, is it like, is it like my dad 
Well, how? I don't know. Who is it supposed to be for? My dad appears in New Yorker in the year. I don't know. I don't really know. How the heck are you going to attract readers to your internet thing when your target reader is a person who doesn't internet? Yeah. This is like, I, I don't know. It's like getting people to watch TV shows who don't own TVs. Yeah. Well, and even you, even you look at the, you know, Russell Banks, you know, the, the, the people they name Russell Banks, I mean, he's 70 years old and, and Christy Watson, I think has been around for a while too. I could be wrong about that. Heyman's a little bit younger, but this is not like, these are not unknown quantities. Like, and maybe this wants to be an actual magazine. Yeah. Like, no, Christy Watson's only a few years older than I am. I'm maybe the content is an actual magazine and the readers for it are readers who prefer magazines. Like there's no, if this is the thing you want to build, there's no reason you have to build it on the internet and then like shoehorn it around to yeah. people who don't like to use it. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe there's going to be huge demand for it and everyone who like, shops in independent bookstores in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan are going to love I it. I would love to be wrong, if not about this, about something soon, like the growth of book coverage online and book communities is a thing that's super exciting and I want to see somebody nail it. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. Um, and again, I think there's room for lots of different kinds of yeah. book internet. Um, and you don't have to do what we do by, by any stretch of the imagination to be successful. Um, we've seen a lot of different things that mm -hmm. have taken long lives of their own, but this kind of piecemeal. And I guess if we put a bunch of nickels together, we're going to get, if we get, if we put 20 nickels together, we're going to get a, a dollar. That's kind of what this feels like to me. Yeah, I think um, you're right. But I don't feel like it's going to work out that way. Um, but I, I could be wrong. I, I really could be wrong. But it is interesting to see that this is a reaction against something. And it's it seems to be the fractal nature of the Internet. And I don't think the way to deal with that is to, like, try to coalesce one node. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't seem to me to be a good strategy. But uh, – some of that could be my own bias for sure. Okay, we better do another sponsor here. We're, we're getting, we're running long in the tooth. Harry's is back. Harry's. We talked about them before. I guess it was before you Christmas. You love Harry's. I do love Harry's. If you do any, look, we, we grow hair. This is what we do. <laughs> Most of us. This is not how I was expecting this spot Neither to was begin. I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm letting it rip here. It's after dark. Yeah, it's uh, it's nighttime. So Things are... Um, we're you, we're you, sitting we're, here we're growing sitting, hair right now. You are growing hair, and especially the, especially if you're a guy, you, in, unless you grow like an infinitely long beard, you're going to need to <laughs> shave at some point. And the thing about shaving is that it's the worst. It can be uncomfortable. You get razor burn, nicks, scratches. You, you have to deal with that terrible like Target Gillette gel blue stuff that looks like liquefied Smurf. And you get, have to buy these hideously outrageously expensive razor blades. They've got like 10 individual blades on it, and it costs $1,000 per blade. It's not quite that much, but you know what I'm getting at here. And they're always locked behind like the little thing where you got to get the person to come over and slide over the plastic thing with the plastic key. So because their things are too expensive that they have to lock them away, uh, you know, in Casa Tomb for us to get them out of there. Harry's, the guys behind Harry's are like, you know what? That it does stink to buy disposable razor blades, to, to, to shave with the disposable razor blades. Can we make it not suck quite so much? So here's what they did. They went out and started their own subscription shaving service aimed at guys, but you know, there's no reason women can't use this. It's the, the packaging it. is a little more like 
masculine, I would say. You know, it's like it's gray and dark green and metallic, but it could go either way. But the first blades were made in Germany that they got, and they liked them so much, they bought the whole factory. They make their own blades. It's not some sort of third-party repackaging situation. They control the manufacture of the blades from the very beginning, so you get super high-quality blades and at a heck of a deal. Why pay 32 bucks for an eight pack of razor blades? I mean, that is not a joke. That's what they are. Even like, even at like Costco, that's how much yeah, blades are. I had are. like a come to Jesus moment with my lady razor blades. I think right before we had the first mm-hmm. Harry spot where it was $25.99 for four blades. So and yeah. And they had like, you it, know, 900 right. moisturizing strips. And at Harry's, <laughs> it's about half that price. So you get better, just as good, if not better shaves as like, the 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 vapor the viper nine and a half whatever the most recent you know drugstore razor blade is and you don't have to get the plexiglass cabinets unlike the cabinets you'll get that hassle packaging we have to get out like the jaws of life to open up the package they just come to your house they come to your house and the starter set is a great deal for 15 bucks you get a razor moisturizing cream and three razor blades and with promo code book you can get five dollars off that so for 10 bucks you can try it just try it and see how it goes. I think I what's what I use now. Um, mm-hmm. They sent me a trial. I was excited to try it even before, um, but then I saw that we were going to get um, free samples, so I held off buying it myself so that I could get the free ones, but now I've got to pay for it. Um, men, women, we all need razor blades that shave well, and they don't suck, and they don't bleed us dry, and you have to go to the, gro- uh, the grocery store, the pharmacy, wherever to get them. So it's great. So $5 off your first purchase. Offer code book, harrys.com. Most excellent. All right. So. Hmm, let's see. Yeah, okay. We can go from uh, Mockingbirds uh, yeah, to Mockingjays. Mocking, mocking, this one just caught my eye. Uh, and I, I don't know how much truth there is behind it, though it makes to some degree of sense. Uh, Den of Geek is reporting, which is, um, I guess, kind of a nerd culture website. They do books and video games and uh, uh movie type things reporting they reported that Lionsgate which is the production company behind the Hunger Games movies is interested in making more Hunger Games movies beyond the three well I guess four movies but out of three books that we have now which is no surprise because they make a jillion dollars and -hmm. people love them um and this article was speculating that there might be ways to do that and maybe they have rights to make some more on their own um nothing is confirmed at this point but I thought that was interesting. There's, there's more stories I'm sure to be told in that world of Pan Am. Is that, that's, that's, is that, yeah, that's. Yeah, there, there's a comparison drawn in this press release, it looks like, to the Warner Brothers prequels uh, for the Harry Potter world that that J.K. Rowling is writing um, about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, which we have been excited about forever on this show. We haven't heard much Um, about that recently. I just, anyway. Yeah, I guess they're in the writing and making stuff phase there. period. I was. I just saw this headline on the agenda earlier today, and I hadn't clicked on the link yet. And I was thinking about what I would want to watch, and I would watch so many prequels about yeah. like, life in the capital before all the action of the Hunger Games started, and about like, like a thing from Gale's perspective, um, mm. about you know his childhood because we get little bits of Katniss. Uh, growing up, but something like that, or maybe Katniss's parents, like that generation, what it was like yeah. for them growing up, and. I'm not terribly interested in sequels. Like, I, I hated the end of Mockingjay, so I don't really want to watch mm. what happens after that. But 
I would watch so many setup stories. Really? <laughs> so many, so many. Uh, I'm kind of interested in what happens after, but I, I can see where you're coming from. But I just thought it was interesting that those are in the works because these, and it's this recurring theme that we're seeing, that these giant properties, um, I guess Harry Potter being the, the, the ultimate example now, that there's so much attention and interest still in. So there's, so, there's still so much untapped revenue out there for these big movie companies and publishers too. I mean, mm-hmm. to be frank, sure that that's sort of artificially being constrained by the desires or the lack thereof of the, the writers of the original books to do anything else with them. Cause mm-hmm. I'm sure I mean, we know Rowling doesn't need any more money. Um, but she's, I guess either was written a check so big, she couldn't turn it down from Warner brothers or she was genuinely interested in doing the project. Or she wants control, control of that world yeah. she created. That would be, so I, I don't, don't know, to me that would be We appealing. heard a while ago that Suzanne Collins was working on a YA project of some kind that is not related to Hunger Games, or at least that's not what it was said. But you could see her coming on as like a story consultant or something. And it's like, yeah, yeah I'll help you sketch out the story. I'm not, I may not write novels. Right, sure, this thing on. is realistic for this character. Yeah, this yeah. Other or thing here's some other happen. notes that I had. Or... or do what George Lucas did with Star Wars and just sell the darn thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sell you the whole property like Lu- uh, George Lucas did with Star Wars and Lucasfilm and all the jazz that goes along with it. I think Indiana Jones was withheld from that. But anyway, um, and, you know, write, a, write her a check for $200 million. You can do whatever you want with the Hunger Games. You can make theme parks and TV series and the whole shooting match. But there's still – we're not even to the end of this. Mockingjay Part 2 comes out, I think, next fall? I can't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, it should be, it should be like late this year. Yeah. So uh, I, I just think that's interesting that the, the appetite, and I don't know if this is a, a, a modern phenomenon where we're not just, we're not ready to be done with these characters in these worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wonder how much like, like Tumblr and internet fandom yeah. have to do with that too, with perpetuating interest and also making the perpetuated interest really visible. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jen, our, our new coworker, who's our events director, was just telling me over lunch last week that, or maybe maybe you were there, I don't remember. Um, you're superfluous to this story. That's fine. <laughs> that she found like the corner of Tumblr where people are hardcore nerding out on the secret history oh, yeah, of Donna Tart, yeah. which is 20 years old. But there's this corner of people on Tumblr that are reading this book that's 20 years old, or they've loved it for 20 years. And they're like going in depth about the mythology of the stuff that happened in it and talking about the characters and like the thing that these people do on Tumblr all the time is talk about the secret history. And they have probably existed. Those readers of that book have probably existed. It's the kind of book that lives in your imagination for a while. But we are only able to see them because of a thing like Tumblr right. giving them a place to be visible. And so now we can also see how much people really love The Hunger Games and mm-hmm. how long and sustained that interest is. Yeah, you can coalesce your fandoms much easier. And by coalescing mm-hmm. them, you can let, you know, maybe you slightly more casual are. fans even get sucked. Because, like, we've had these... Cults is the wrong word, but like groups of very passionate fans going back to like Dickens and Austin, right? Austinites Mm -hmm. and the the Dickens nerds. But there were so many of them that those were like big pop culture things that they could sustain on their own. What the internet does is allows you to have that sort of ongoing passion with much fewer, more diverse members. Right. Um, But Hunger Games, I think, I don't know, it's bigger than the secret history. But 
I guess the point is that this thirst is still out there. The images and the clips and the stories are still circulating, circulating. Because like when I was a kid, the, the, big, the big franchise for us was Star Wars. And the three movies came out, and the last one came out in 83, so I was five. And I, I don't think I ever saw one in the theater. But we were desperate for more Star Wars movies, even then. And, but that was the only property I could think of where everyone was just like, I wish there were more, I wish there were more. Now I feel like it's that way with Hunger Games. I feel like it's that way with uh, Harry Potter. Like there's the Game of Thrones. We're just dying for more of mm-hmm. this stuff. And it's more than one person. You know, It's more than a Collins or a Rowling or a Martin or even a Lucas can do on their own. Um, that the world is so big and the amount of work that's possible to make the amount of money that's possible needs to be giant corporation. Like it needs to be Disney. Only that can, can satiate the kind of desire you're seeing out there. So I'm not saying that Suzanne Collins should or has to do more with Hunger Games, but there's something different, I feel like, about the demand for this stuff. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was trying to think if there were other things happening in books right now that I could see leading to this, you know, like mm. that after the first batch of movies was made when the series was supposedly over, there would be demand for more. I mean, aside from when they ultimately make that mini series of the Gilead right. books, we'll just want to watch everything that they could ever Maybe imagine. Maybe I can for finally show my fan, my Gilead fan fiction. <laughs> I can finally get it done. If I really believed that that existed, it would be the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the, you know, like the Middle Earth stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Someday the Tolkien estate is going to, you know, that stuff's going to be in the public domain, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. not too, I mean, in our lifetimes, it's going to be in the public domain. And someone will make a prequel the, to The Hobbit. You know, yeah. they're going to make a, the, the original by Thranduil or whatever, whoever, I, can, I don't know the names. Um, or a, a sequel, what happens after Sauron is gone and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Like, there's still demand, or Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or the Golden Compass, or all of these sorts of things. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine it happening with one of the comics properties, too. Oh, like if, yeah. You know, like if Marvel just decided to hell with the Avengers, right. <laughs> but people still wanted to see more Avengers movies, and they were somehow willing to give those rights up to Lionsgate or Warner Brothers or whoever wanted to well, make them. Well, comics is the, the, the counterexample, which is there has been consistently new material for decades on some, you know, I guess mm-hmm. Fantastic Four, Captain America, Superman, Batman, like 60 years worth of new material over time. And there's some definite downsides to that, but the demand can be sustainable over time. And I would argue that, you know, Harry Potter is probably bigger than any superhero at this point in terms of popularity. Like Batman maybe mm. is up there, but I don't know about that. I don't know. But I have no idea. Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see, as, especially as the, the global market is so big that you can just reach so many people with these iconic characters that there's that, that intellectual property is so hard to replicate that once you've established something like Harry Potter, the demand and the, the upside of making money off it almost makes it impossible for it to stay on the sidelines. Um, right. Like right. what's on the sidelines right now that could make money? Like everything is out there. Yeah. I mean, really, it's all getting recycled and rebooted and uh, extended. So I guess if I had to bet, I hadn't really thought about this in seeing this piece, but we're going to see new Hunger Games stuff at some point. I don't know when, but we're going to see it, I'm pretty sure. Um, All right. We're getting long on time. We want to pick one of these other weird stories. We've got some like potpourri stuff here. 
We do. Uh, I don't know which one I want to pick. Here, let's do the book cover that judges you Yeah, back. okay. I thought you were going to pick that. This is a weird story. And also a super great headline. Yes. Um, so, uh, I don't know how to say that name, but um, it's a Dan- Danish? Is that what it looks like? Yes. It's Theus a... Beerstecker? <laughs> uh, it's a new prototype book cover that judges you back so literally what it does is that it um it reads your facial expressions there's a camera built into the book cover um and it looks at the feedback and it there's like a i guess a mechanical lock that Mm -hmm. triggers whether or not the book will open depending upon what kind of facial expression you're making and you have to make an appropriately stern and neutral expression. Yeah, so you can't be too happy. To please it. You can't be too sad. You have to be very neutral for the camera to scan your face, and only then <laughs> will the book unlock. This book is from the future. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it feels like something out of like a Harry Potter book, right? <laughs> like, like you get this tome, and you've right. got to solve the riddle, and you have to like wink at yeah. it, or you know, right. what's yeah, the elvish word for friend or something. Yeah, there's a riddle about what to do with your face, and then right. you do that thing with your face, the book opens. I love that it's an appropriately stern and neutral expression <laughs> that's required, that it's not Only that it's a not Danish something graphic ridiculous. designer would require <laughs> a stern visage to open it up. Um, but the old canard and, about don't judge a book by its cover, this one is the book cover judges you. It's it's cool. Um, that's interesting. I, we, and This other story, I'm, there's not much more to say about this. This yeah. other story that's been on our agenda for a while that I, I finally want to clean up is about sure. the New York um, is rolling out an all-access library pass, which is super interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a new way um, where you, until now you've had to have a branch library card. For, you have a library card for each branch. Queens Public Library, New York Public Library, Brooklyn Public Library. Now, um, the new New York City Citywide Identification Card, the IDNYC, allows you to get free access to all the libraries. But not only that, you get free access to a lot of the other cultural institutions um, in New York. So you get free access to the Brooklyn um, Children's Museum, Brooklyn Museum of Art, Brooklyn Botanical Garden, the New York Aquarium, and a whole bunch of Brooklyn Children's Museum. I may have said that one already. So it's, it's a reimagining of how we imagine a library to work. Because that's a library you've never mm-hmm. really had to pay for, um, American public libraries. But a lot of these cultural institutions, you do have to pay an admissions fee for. This way is thinking about that all of these other institutions are like a library and should be free. So your one New York City ID will get you into all these institutions for free. Gonna, so great. going to save my family some money because we buy memberships to the um, uh the New York Conservation Society, which is a bunch of the zoos and aquariums and stuff. But this includes libraries and art museums and other types of things to go to. I think it's an awesome idea. And, and really making the metaphor of the library where you go in for free to get information across the sort of mediums that the, the, the city inspires. I think it's amazing. I wish I would have thought of it to bark about for years. Um, but it's great. And yeah, it's, you don't, it's you could, so great. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm getting I was excited. Saying, it's so great. I think it's so smart and not just because we think about libraries as the place you go for information and that information is free, but books as art that yeah. we interact with and that enrich our lives in many ways. And you can interact with literary art for free at a library, but you haven't been able in, in many museums, um, to get in for free and interact with that art. And so access to art has been cut off for many people who can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And this 
is a step towards leveling that playing field um, that says that valuing the arts and the place of the arts in our lives is something that should be accessible to everyone, regardless of their income or their ability to pay. Yeah. And also, it's also trying to get um, an ID for people who've had trouble getting ID cards, you know, a driver's license or something else, homeless youth, elderly, undocumented immigrants, people who've been in jail, so that they can have a photo ID and access all at the same time. So um, it's a great it's it, it's a great idea, and it's it also shown that there's demand because the lines have been insane, and now you have to go sign up for a time. And Michelle and I were looking to see when we could go get a card, and our next available time was April, um, wow. so we could go get a, <laughs> go get a card. So um, I think they may have uh, underestimated how much people really going to mm-hmm. be into this. But which um, what a cool thing to have more demand than you expected. Yeah, I know, for. I know, it's great. So if you live in New York City. Um, you might check that out. Just You can just Google ID NYC and I'll tell you all about it. But as far as I can tell, you can go get one. And um, I don't know if the city's going to give. I, I'd imagine like I'm just thinking of, you know, we make um, regular trips to the Brooklyn. Well, I guess it's the New York Aquarium that's down on Coney Island. but And then the Brooklyn Zoo, which are not pay what you will. Those are, you know, you have to pay the eight bucks or whatever mm-hmm. to get in. I wonder how they're going to make up that revenue or they're just, they're thinking it's not going to be that big of a dent on what they do or the city's hmm. going to kick back some to them. Are they capping? The, they're capping the number of people that get these IDNYC things, are they? I, oh, I think if you wait long enough, eventually you you'll be able get to get one. one. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure not all eight and a half million New Yorkers will get one, but. Uh, Maybe they'll raise the ticket prices for, everybody for everyone else. else. Yeah, well, Ding those tourists. Sorry, guys. Right. Um, but that's, I think it's great. I think it's really a fantastic idea. And it's civic minded in like the, the truest sense of that word. Well, I, remember, I was thinking the other day, we were, gonna, we were thinking about maybe taking a you know long weekend down to DC and we were just sort of budgeting. I was like, well, then we got to think about how the, the cost for all the museums. And Michelle's like, you forget that in DC, all the Smithsonian stuff is free. Right. Well, New York stuff is pretty expensive. Like the Met is a recommended donation and so is the is it the um natural history museum is recommended donation but moma you have to pay it's like 20 bucks the guggenheim Mm -hmm. you've got to pay it's like 20 bucks the whitney and uh a whole bunch of other things like it can be expensive if you're trying to do a museum trip to new york it can be very expensive and the way they do it especially at the met for the recommended donation it's very like i don't know it's uncool to not pay the full thing like they gave sometimes they give you a hard time and it's in small print that you don't have to pay the full price whatever huh. but like i don't know like to make the city's treasures easier for people to get to seems like a, a no-brainer to me a very nominal cost too it doesn't cost the city that much um to subsidize that so um that'd good be cool job, good new job york. new york um you've uh you've you can if you make it here you can make it anywhere all right want to hear about our last let's sponsor? do our last sponsor We've got Dragons at Crumbling Castle and Other Tales by Terry Pratchett sponsoring this week. Uh, Terry Pratchett, as you probably know, is a New York Times bestselling author, and he has sold over 85 million copies. That's known for Discworld, but he's moved some units. Worldwide. He has. Uh, he's written acclaimed novels for both children and adults and has, obviously, with 85 million copies sold worldwide, an established fan base. Uh, Dragons at Crumbling Castle is a never-before-published collection of fantastical tales. It's now available in the U.S. 
princess. There's a cast of wizards, abominable snowmen, dragons in bathtubs. Uh, that's what the cover design is, and it's whimsical and wonderful. Uh, and more. The book features 14 stories of mischief, mayhem, and fun, and has more than 100 black and white illustrations as well. Uh, it's a perfect introduction then for younger readers to a master storyteller, but it will also delight older fans. And so we are very glad to have Dragons at Crumbling Castle from Terry Pratchett sponsoring this week. One of the more fertile imaginations uh, among living writers, yeah. Terry Pratchett. I, I don't know what it would like to be living that guy's head for a few days, <laughs> but he his imagination is is wide ranging and and also funny. I mean, that's a, mm-hmm. one thing about um, Pratchett is he's a, he's a, a fantasy writer that also has a really good sense of humor and a sense of play, which sometimes, again, I'm not a fantasy hardcore um, uh, reader, but I do read some. Sometimes sense of humor is one of the first things to go with fantasy for reasons that I think are understandable, but Pratchett brings the funny. Um, so anyway, thanks so much to Dragons at Crumbling Castle for sponsoring the show. New books? New books. All right. Out this week is The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl by Issa Rae. You may recognize her name. She hosts a YouTube series of the same title. Um, This is a collection of humorous essays about what it's like to be an awkward, introverted, sort of misfit person, who uh, misfit black person in a world that defines black as cool. Hmm. So, uh, so like her experience is being in a culture that expects her to be cool when cool is like the furthest thing from what she feels like she is. Uh, and so it's, you know, navigating love and work and friendships. Um, sort of, it's been compared in the media to the Mindy Kaling collection, Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? That sort of humorous essay memoir thing. Uh, and so she talks about uh, cyber sexing in the days of the early internet, navigating the perils of eating out alone, uh, learning to accept yourself in all of the things that that means. Uh, really a funny, smart, you know, contemporary take on culture and experience. Liberty featured this in her new books newsletter for us this week and compared it to um, Aisha Tyler's awesome memoir, Self-Inflicted Wounds, and that immediately sold me. Mm. Uh, so if this also sounds good to you in the vein of, you know, like everyone's awkward and here are some stories about how I'm awkward, uh, The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl by Issa Ray is brand new. And out in paperback this week is Bird Box by Joshua Mailerman, which made a like surge through the book riot community a couple of months ago when it was in the middle of its hardcover life. And I haven't quite figured out how that happened. Um, This is a super creepy suspense story. I wouldn't quite call it a thriller, but uh, in the world, something has happened. And when people go outside and people go outside and they supposedly see a thing that makes them go crazy and kill themselves and sometimes harm other people. Yeah, that's the setup. And so the solution that people have to this, the people who haven't seen the thing that makes them go crazy is they board themselves up in houses with all of the windows covered and they don't open their eyes when they go outside and they go outside as little as possible. Mm. And so the book opens with a, a young woman who's been living in a house for like years since the thing happened that makes people go crazy. Um, and she has two children with her. And she is preparing to leave. 
Uh, but they are like to leave. They have she has to blindfold herself and the children and get them from the house, presumably past the dangerous things that if she sees them, she'll go crazy and into a canoe that's left by this river by the house and then paddle down the river blindfolded towards what is supposed to be a safe location. Mm. <laughs> it is bonkers scary because you just imagine the whole time walking around and hearing things and not being able to see anything at all. Um, and then there are flashback chapters that show us how she got there um, into the house and then what has led up to her decision to leave it. It's so suspenseful and weird. I've not read anything with a story hmm quite like it um and it was definitely one of those like do don't read this book late at night in bed (laughs) you will you will regret your life choices but it's a great book so read it on a sunny day with the windows open and then forget that you (laughs) know about these mental images when you go to sleep nice it was it's a great book so it's out in paperback now oh it's paper i missed that okay yeah, it's um, it's been out in hardcover for I think about nine months or a year. Um, it's out in paperback now. It'll scare the pants off. Of you. <laughs> All right, well that's our show. That's our that's our evening edition of uh, the Book Riot podcast. It's, yeah, it's been a while since I we know. had an after. You can dark. find show notes at bookwrite.com slash podcast. If you've got a comment or question or something you want to get in contact with us about, you can use find us on email. Uh, podcast at bookriot.com. We're on Twitter. I'm at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L. She's at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Let's see. Uh, Book Riot live tickets going on sale March 10th. Uh, you can email us questions for our Ask oh, Us Anything yeah. we haven't show. Got, we've got a couple questions, but we haven't got that. We haven't got enough to really flesh out a full show. So we need some more questions. Anything you want to know about the side, books, us, the show, whatever you want to know. Um, maybe we should have an Amanda on for part of that show. Or yeah. The whole thing. Well, if you've got a question for Amanda. We could just ask Amanda things if we don't have enough questions. Oh, that's what we're going to do. That's absolutely what yeah. we're going to do. We're just going to sit here and we're, we'll, we'll grill her like a, a steak um, if we don't get enough questions. So for Amanda's so, sake, you all should submit questions uh, for the show, which we'll be recording, boy, before too long in, uh, yeah, in a, few, so- uh, a few weeks here. Um, thanks so much to uh, The Dragons at Crumbling Castle by Terry Pratchett and Scribd. Go to scribd.com slash bookriot and harrys. Harrys.com. Use offer code book. Get 5% off. We will talk to you all next week. Have a good one.